Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. And hello, thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Thursday, March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Jesse Allen in for Mike Pearson here today on the show. Thank you so much for making us part of your day. We have a busy lineup here on the show today. We're going to be talking with Ethan Lane from the National Cannabis Beef Association coming up later on in the show. We're also going to be talking markets with Arlen Suderman of Stone X. We're going to get a look at weather, a big weather system setting up here the next couple of days across the U.S. Eric Snodgrass of Nutrient going to join us coming up here in just a little bit. But first... Pleased to have joining me here this morning, former FSA administrator, Missouri farmer, Richard Fordyce is on AOA. Richard, great to have you on the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Jesse. It's great to be on with you. I appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us. And uh, let's dive right in here, Richard. A lot of things to discuss throughout the uh, world of agriculture. I would just love to get your thoughts uh, on just the state of agriculture right now with everything going on, the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, so many things with supply chain issues, and I know input costs are rising, gasoline prices, diesel's rising, a lot of farmers worried about a lot of things. What's your general thoughts on just the current state uh, of ag right now? Well, I think I think you touched on a lot of the issues. Um, you know, we, as you know, we just uh, we just got back from the commodity classic in new orleans and certainly that's a you know that's an environment where you have a chance to visit with a lot of folks in the industry uh, a lot of farmers from across the country that you know most are pretty diversified in in what they grow and and you're exactly right they some of the things that we heard while we were there uh were you know a little bit of uncertainty and angst over um you know the terrible tragedy that's happening in in the ukraine um, you know, sometimes we talk about the middle part of the U.S. as being the breadbasket of the world, but you know that 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 was the original breadbasket of the world. When folks refer to that area, that's what they're talking about. And so, certainly, you can imagine disruption. Um, you know, if we had an, an invading army coming into this country, you know, you can imagine what kind of a disruption that would be. So, you know, there's going to be some production um, slowdowns uh, or or no production going on in that part of the world for a while and then they're uh you know they're a natural resource rich part of the world so we saw super high fertilizer prices really before this event and now with you know the potash that comes from that region of the world and and the natural gas and and nitrogen production that happens there you know i think farmers are certainly aware of that i know um, when i'm talking to folks they're they're very aware of what's going on in the news they're very aware of what's happening around them and what's happening around the globe and so some uncertainty uh, as it relates to that well, super Rick, high input price go go ahead jesse no i was just going to say kind of going off that you were going to go to the super high input prices and that's where i was going to go as well i mean not only that but also the worry about getting some of these products you know, in time for spring planting, we're starting to roll some planters even in some southern parts of the country. So some of these high input costs, I know there's worry about 2022, but there's also worry about 2023, Richard. 
And that was what I was going to mention, Jesse, and I'm glad you said that because, again, the folks that we visited with, the, the situation on our farm, you know, we're paying higher fertilizer prices. We did get some fertilizer down last fall. Um, and so the 2022 growing season is going to bring some challenges, certainly. But I think a lot of folks have been able to mitigate that to a degree. Um, you know, if there was chemistry that wasn't available or it was in short supply, they potentially went to a different system for uh, for crop protection. So I think in most cases, now there's going to be folks that are listening to this going, what are you talking about? I still have to find some stuff. But I think generally folks have kind of gotten stuff locked in for this year. But you are exactly right. The big worry, I think, for folks across farm country and in, in, in the U.S. is what's going to happen in 2023. Well, Richard, I know as well, there is a lot of uh, talk about the upcoming farm bill in D.C. I know you still have your connections in D.C. And, you know, I wonder how much some of these rising prices, uh, input costs, et cetera, supply chain issues. I wonder how much that's going to parlay itself into our next farm bill. Are you hearing anything, you know, from D.C. in regards to this farm bill and how it's starting to take shape possibly? Well, you know, obviously it's pretty preliminary. Um, you know, the House Ag Committee, they're conducting some some hearings right now. And I think right now, um, you know, with the leadership that's in the House and the leadership that's in the Senate and, you know, the current administration, the focus is on climate, climate smart agriculture, you know, uh, programs around, um, you know, climate smart ag. So I think that's kind of the leading conversation right now. If you think about the current farm bill and the legislation that supports that, you know, our safety net programs are really price based, right? So, you know, if we see a drop in prices, a drop in commodity prices, those, you know, those safety net programs kick in. There really is no mechanism to support producers when we have extremely high input costs. And so I think, you know, and also, as you mentioned, supply chain disruptions, I think as they move forward, if we continue to be in this kind of an environment of super high inputs, I think the conversation is going to have to be, how do we support, how do we support American farmers um, with, you know, with the input prices where they are, the supply chain issues that we have, because, you know, as long as we're, you know, as long as we still work in a supply and demand, um, you know, system, you know, there's a there's a really strong support for good prices, good crop prices, you know, for a ways out into the future. So conventional safety net programs are not going to trigger. We're going to have to look at some way to be able to help help producers um, offset some of those high input costs. Well, Richard, we have about a minute here. Um, you mentioned climate smart uh, agriculture and how that is part of the future and a lot of farmers are starting to hear more and more about this. What is, what are you hearing as farmer perceptions about climate smart ag and just looking towards the future? Well, I think, um, you know, certainly again, this is a priority uh, of the current administration. And I think that, I think that agriculture can play a key role. Um, you know, they're talking about climate smart ag, but they're talking about climate smart practices across the country, right? Agriculture, um, agriculture literally can be a very important piece of that, of that. The, they just announced the partnership for climate smart commodities. Um, they're going to take, um, they're going to take a, a billion dollars out of the CCC. Um, I don't know necessarily if that was the right way to do it, but I do like the approach of having pilot projects. 
let folks on the ground that have been working in this space or have been thinking about this, let them submit proposals to do pilots and let's see how they work. And I would also say one more thing. I've heard it across the board, either from producers, uh, you know, farm organizations and even uh, uh, officials at USDA. They do not want to penalize early adopters. I think that has to be mm-hmm. the way it is. Folks that have been practicing climate smart agricultural practices for a long time sure. are not going to be penalized. Well, Richard, I know we could have a much longer conversation. We'll have to do it again sometime. Appreciate you joining us here today on AOA. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jesse. Richard Fordyce, former FSA administrator and Missouri farmer. Coming up next, we'll talk weather with Eric Snodgrass here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov BeSafeRx. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell 
Everything's changed. It is dumb. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Pearson here today. We are taking a look at weather. Got a lot of things to talk about, including a pretty big system setting up here in the Plains as we head to the weekend. Pleased to have joining me on AOA today, Eric Snodgrass with Nutrien. Eric, great to have you on, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty well, and I, I'll be honest, I'm pretty excited about this big system coming through the Plains as well. So it's certainly, uh, really, it's the first one we've had since the beginning of the year, and it's going to be working hard on area and drought. So we're going to have to watch this one carefully. Definitely. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. Talk about how this is setting up. I, I believe some of this is coming out of the Rockies, and it's really timely for some very drought-stricken areas of the Southern Plains and into the Central Plains as well. Tell us what we're seeing. Yeah, well, you think about that area in the central and southern plains, and you have some places, there's even pockets in Nebraska that are having their driest start to any year since 1893 when our record keeping kind of began. So to get a system that pulls through there, even putting down just a half inch of rain, I mean, just it, it helps. So this one's coming out, uh, like you said, from the Rockies, but its origin is actually in the Pacific Northwest. And that's important to think about. If we want to completely wipe out the drought, in the mid part of the country. We got to get better flow out of the Southwest. This system's coming in from the Northwest, which means it's doing its best that it can to help eliminate drought concerns in that area, but it's just one system. The overall pattern is not set up just yet to completely cure the drought, but we're gonna be talking snow in the high plains. We're gonna be talking severe weather in the Southern Plains, lower Mississippi River Valley into the Southeast. We're gonna talk flooding in parts of the Mid-South mid on the Ohio River, on the Mississippi River. This next system coming through is going to just, I mean, it's going to hold a big punch. And then behind it, though, I just don't see anything else following it up, right? So that I'd want to see three or four or five of these over the next, uh, honestly, I'd like to see five of them over the next five weeks. And then we wouldn't be talking about drought anymore. I've got one dialed up. We need more. Definitely. Well, we look at the current uh, drought monitor map released here just today and still seeing a lot of reds and browns and, and dark oranges on that screen, you know, west of the Mississippi, some of those uh, central plains, southern plains areas. You know, we think about spring planting season, we're already starting to see a few planters roll in some southern areas, not many, but a few. We're going to be seeing more presumably here in the next, uh, you know, four to six weeks rolling. Uh, you look at some of those uh, central Corn Belt areas. I look at Iowa specifically. There, there's some drought there that if they don't get some good precipitation, that could be something to really keep an eye on, Eric. It is, and, and you're right. There is still drought in Iowa, through Nebraska, through the western Corn Belt. But, you know, talking to growers out there, they're like, all right, leave, leave it in place for just a little while longer. Let me get in early. Let me get in fast. Then, you know, as if I could dial it up, they're like, bring on the rain at the end of May through June and July. And that would just put a, a massive crop in the ground. So those folks right now are sitting there going, all right, it's dry. But if it's still dry June 1st, then they're going to push the panic button. So we still have that window in that area that we're going to, you know, just sit and wait. You talk about where we've already had some planters rolling, like down in Texas. They were up to about 25, 27% planted. But remember last weekend, 
they had a frost event that got all the way, I mean, almost to the southern tip of Texas that went through there. I don't know what kind of damage it did. I haven't got any reports just yet. But uh, just a reminder to everybody that even with some of these mild days that we've been dealing with here, our last frosts for a lot of us in the Midwest are still another month out. So we've still got some time here where we have before we go into the fields really in earnest. Well, in some of those mild days, I know across parts of the northern plains, it, it, northern tier, et cetera, maybe some of that snow melt, maybe a little minor flooding there as well. So definitely not out of the woods yet when it comes to that. Uh, but also, Eric, you know, as we've kind of talked about spring planting and shaping up, and you mentioned you're looking for a few more systems. I, I mean, what are some of the longer range models saying? You said you're not seeing much. Is there better chances? I know we've got some La Nina issues throughout parts of the world. I mean, what are you seeing, you know, bigger pictures we get towards May, June, July, et cetera? Sure. So we think about what that La Nina does. It's kind of like a, it's a background feature. And what it tends to do is rob some of the momentum of the jet stream as it comes into the North Pacific and then eventually in the United States, which means our jet stream just gets kind of bigger and more loopy. In that particular situation, it's, it's, it's one where places that we have drought are probably going to continue with them into the near future. Um, so all of the models, you know, you just, we look at them and then we use statistical analysis and we say, what's going forward? They're all so hung up right now on the fact that there is a La Nina. There's some cold water in the Gulf of Alaska, which has historically correlated with drier conditions in the central United States. And there's drought in the central U.S. So they push it forward. They don't break away from it. Where it's wet, like Mid-South, the Eastern Corn Belt into New England, they just keep that really, really wet. And our, you know, I'll be honest with you, the worst place in the country right now is going to be over in, in, in California, where California, Nevada, Southern Oregon, whole region is having its driest start to any year since 1893 they need out all this late season precip to pack up mountain snow that means those reservoirs are not going to be full again this year and i'm very very concerned about that particular region but you know you talk about longer term what about this upcoming summer we do have elevated risk of drought expansion this summer but in order for me to build in some sort of confidence in telling you what i thought that was going to be i got to get past what we call the spring barrier i need to know how the jet stream pattern starts to behave toward the end of April. That's the key time to look for. Until then, every model is going to split the country on the Mississippi River. The farther to the west you go, the greater the risk of drought. The farther east you go right now, looks as though it's going to be wet. Eric, I want to get an update on South American weather as well. I know we're getting into that Safrina corn crop in Brazil. We've had drought issues down there. We've heard the reductions to the crops in South America. Uh, what are you seeing as far as their weather outlook here as uh, we work into the back half of March? Yeah, so all the damage has really been done, right? That was the drought that started in November, carried through December, January, and part of February that hammered the southern growing areas, Paraguay, Uruguay, and Argentina as well. So that's what peeled back, what was it, well over 20 million metric ton from that soybean crop. Well, most of those soybeans to the north are out. The safrina crop is in, and that's mostly corn. And of the expected, you know, what, 3 point some odd billion bushels of corn we want to get out of that area, there is some risk going forward of it being a bit drier than normal and the monsoon shutting down a little early in the north. Now, right now, if you ask me how big of a stressor is it, I don't think it's that big. I have to see some more evidence that we're going to keep weakening the monsoonal flow. And how we do that keep the La Nina surging, keep pushing the MJO over into phase five that historically just suppresses the monsoon over Mato Grosso to Goyas over toward Bahia. And that's where we have a lot of safrina crop. So they're drier right now in that area. 
It's if they stay drier there, not just the next 10 days, but the next 30 plus that we start to see major problems with that safrina crop. So I'm, I'm right now, I, I'm biased neutral to low on keeping that 112 million metric ton crop of, of, of corn that most estimates are currently sitting. I still think there's some risk in the system going forward. Well, Eric, uh, as well here, before we run out of time, got a couple minutes. Any other big weather storylines you're watching here uh, globally or across the U.S. as we work through the uh, rest of the month of March? Yeah, you know, my biggest concern right now has been over what this La Nina has been doing. It's got a full bag of tricks, and it has tricked me twice. And what I mean by that is that we thought we saw it fading after December, and it did. All of a sudden, by mid-March, it's got a little bit of a resurgence. And now we no longer have such confidence in our long-range models at predicting it fading away completely. The U.S. model wants to keep La Nina around all summer and have it rebuild next fall and winter. The Europeans and other modeling groups don't do that, but it makes me just stop and think about what the possibility of having a third year of La Nina would look like. I think what's going to really be important once we get into spring and summer is to know, did the La Nina fade away to nothing? Or did it actually keep a grip on the pattern? If it does, this has big implications for drought in the Midwest. It has big implications for rain in the West. And it could also have a really big in, uh, impact on the upcoming hurricane season. So Jesse, if it sounds like we've got a lot of things we're just staring at and watching and we're sitting here going, okay, let's wait and see. That's exactly how I feel every morning as I forecast the weather. Yeah, a lot of things we're watching in kind of a wait and see mode and just going to have to keep our eyes on it. But I think... Uh, Again, a lot of farmers uh, here throughout the southern and central plains going to be fairly happy that they're getting some moisture here the next couple of days, Eric. I, I completely agree. Definitely. Well, hey, we appreciate the time here today on AOA. Thank you for joining us. And I know you're busy traveling and speaking at a lot of different events, but thanks for uh, giving us a few minutes of your time here on AOA. We'll have to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient joining us here today on AOA. And folks, uh, coming up here, we are going to be talking the markets. We're seeing corn, beans, wheat all moving higher here as we work through our Thursday. Arlen Suderman of Stonex is going to be joining us here in just a, a little bit to talk about that. Also coming up later in the show, we're going to talk about the Cattle Contract Library Pilot Program and more with Ethan Lane from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We'll be back with more AOA right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? 
The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Once we take a look at the grain markets, we're pushing higher here. Corded soybeans have pulled wheat futures higher. We got a sale of corn reported this morning, 136,000 metric tons of corn to unknown destinations. The cord is for delivery here during the 21-22 marketing year. As we look at these uh, markets here, getting weekly export sales and shipments, they were a bit lower for old crop, but new crop looked to be a little bit higher. So kind of balancing each other out just a little bit and getting some good moves to the upside here. These markets, of course, watching closely after yesterday's Fed news, the Fed raising interest rates uh, uh, first time since 2018. Wall Street, though, growing increasingly desensitized to the daily news of war. Stocks pulling back a bit from yesterday's solid gains. And we're going to be watching the weather here, not only South American weather, that's been a storyline and a driver the last couple of months, but also U.S. weather as we start to see some planters roll in parts of the southern U.S. and also getting uh, some timely rains throughout drought-stricken areas of the Central Plains. Rain and snow here for the Central Plains and Western Corn Belt starting up today and working through the next couple of days. Taking a look at some of the numbers on the board right now, May corn up 17, 747. December quart up 13 and a quarter, 643. May beans up 22, 1671 and a quarter. November up 17 and a half, 1477 to three quarters. May bean meal up 220 a ton at 480.20. May bean oil up 140 points, 74.95. May Chicago wheat nine and a quarter higher, 1078 and a half. May Kansas City wheat up two and a half at 1075. May spring wheat up four, 1054 and a quarter. Cattle and hogs lower. April live cattle down 92, 138.42. April hogs down 50, 101.87. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Pearson here today on the show and the market trade very active once again as we work towards the end of the week. Corn, soybeans all higher, pulling wheat higher as well here today. A lot of things to discuss and here to help us talk about all of it. 
and discuss Arlen Sudeman of Stonex. Arlen, great to have you on AOA, sir. How are you this morning? Doing well, Jesse. Good to be back with you once again. Appreciate the time, Arlen. Let's let's dive right in. And, and before we really talk about these markets here today specifically, obviously we saw a down day yesterday. We're back higher again today. A lot of volatility surrounding these markets still. How do we make sense of this? How do we keep track of this on a, on a day-to-day basis with everything being so volatile? Yeah, we've certainly changed the environment, that's for sure. I remember uh, a little over two, 20 years ago, I think it was in 2000, where the spot corn contract moved 17 and a half cents from harvest until the next spring planting. We've traded uh, over 25 cents, uh, and we're right now, as we talk, and we're up a 24, 25 cents in the corn contract. So it's a new day, a new era, but that that's kind of what's behind these big moves. It's a day of computer trading. Back then it was primarily people standing in the pits calling out their buy and sell orders and finding the value for, for the commodity. Now it's all done by computers and uh, there's less transparency and there's billions of dollars behind those computer those computers. Price is still a function of supply and demand, but as I say, modified by the flow of money. And so in the near term, it's how what is the money flow? A lot of the traditional traders have stepped aside right now. And uh, these because of the volatility, and we're just seeing these huge price swings. And if we look at the last couple of weeks in corn, uh, we've really been consolidating. And it used to be consolidating maybe within a nickel trading range. Um, but now it's uh, about a 50 cent trading range that we're consolidating inside. And, and, and the bottom line is we still have weather problems in South America. We still have global tight supplies of corn, soybeans, and wheat. And we've added the war on top of it. And uh, as we've been talking here, there's a headline that's come across Reuters saying that Francis Macron is saying that we have deep food crisis in the next 12 to 18 months in Africa and the Middle East due to the Ukraine war. That's kind of setting the backdrop. So you have these major funds, billions of dollars involved in these funds, a lot of it because of the fiscal and monetary stimulus that we've poured into our economy. A lot of that money has made its way into those funds. So the, how do they protect their value in an environment of inflation? When inflation is high and expectations are for it to be high, history says that money flows into the commodities and especially those commodities that have a story. But when you have a headline coming across one of the major wire services, like the one I just read to you from Francis Macron about food crisis in Africa and the Middle East and in many places of the world, that says, okay, the food based commodities have a story. And of course, we've seen what's been happening in the energies as well. But a lot of that money coming in, so that money manages supply and demand at a higher level. But within that, we get all this volatility because these computers that read headlines who one day looks like peace, the next day looks like wars intensifying. They're reading these headlines and they're putting in orders because of that. And uh, 
the momentum trading computers that read momentum, changes in momentum every second and every minute, they pile on additional orders. So that just amplifies the move. And it's very frustrating to both producers and end users. But the bottom line is we still have strong fundamentals which should underpin this market in the long run. Well, Arlen, as well, looking here today, we got a pretty active week of uh, weekly export sales and shipments for corn and soybeans. Did you see anything on those weekly sales that stood out to you? Yeah, we're seeing strong corn and soybean sales um, that's starting to become a habit right now. And when we look at this morning sales, uh, we saw, oh, what was I'm trying to find my numbers here. Um, but overall, we're seeing China be very active in buying soybeans. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing them very active in buying um, grain sorghum. We're seeing sales to unknown destinations on corn, but we're seeing a lot of, which may be China, but we're seeing a lot of other customers come in there as well. And the bottom line then, as we end up and, and look at this, weekly sales of soybeans for the week at 46 million bushels is well above almost twice what we would normally have for this time of year. Weekly sales of corn and old crop is 72.3 million bushels. Again, nearly twice twice what we would normally see this time of year. So end users are getting concerned about potential shortages and they're coming in and they're getting coverage on those supplies. Arlen as well, the Federal Reserve wrapped up their two-day meeting on Wednesday. The Fed raising uh, interest rates first time since 2018, but they maybe didn't go as far as some people thought they would. What is your take on, on what we saw from the Fed on Wednesday? Yeah, it's one of those, it's a glass half full or half empty things and trying to interpret what the Fed's doing. I think the overall markets interpreted it as kind of a, a dovish um, a decision by the Fed, raising ba uh, interest rates 25 basis points, whereas a month ago the market was expecting 50 basis points. In other words, the Fed is saying we're going to err on the side of easy money. Um, I could also interpret it as being hawkish because when you look at the dot plot graphic, it suggests that uh, uh, they're anticipating that we're going to have a rate hike each meeting this year, and one of those meetings will likely have a 50 basis point rate hike. But I think the real key is when do they start withdrawing the stimulus from the economy. Right now, there's over $6 trillion of stimulus in the economy that continues to fuel things, even with the inflation and adding to that inflation problem. Will they get it right? Will they withdraw soon enough? I would say they should have started already. Will they be aggressive enough? If they're too aggressive, they could pull us into a recession. If they're not aggressive enough, we could end up repeating the problems that we saw four decades ago with stagflation, with a stagnant economy, but high inflation. And so we've never faced this type of situation before. The Fed helped create it. Now, can they actually get us out of this? And that's going to be quite a challenge for them going forward. For now, the markets like that there's going to be continued money in there. Um, the fact that there looks like there's going to be continued inflation for a while, also which the Fed is now acknowledging, means that the, that much more interest in the money staying involved in the commodities. Oh, I know as well on the energy side, crude oil, West Texas intermediate back above $100 a barrel here today, you know, back up about five, six percent. And we've seen crude oil fade 
from the highs, but obviously that's another situation where energies as a whole still watching what's going on in the Black Sea region, it would appear. What's your thoughts in energies here today? Well, like many of the other commodities, crude oil supplies were tightening up before the war because demand, global demand was rising faster than what we were able to bring production back online. And so we were trending higher. And then when the war broke out, we really spiked higher up to over $130 a barrel. Then we realized we've already rationed much of that demand. We've already shut off much of that uh, Russian crude oil coming to the United States. Prices fell back sharply, but they went back to that old trend line and now they're bouncing off of it again because we still have those old longer term, stronger fundamentals. And of course, energy goes into virtually everything, um, whether it be the package on that loaf of bread or the transportation and hauling of goods and services. uh, um, Energy goes into everything and just simply contributes to inflation longer term. And as well, livestock producers, uh, we don't want to leave them out. Looking at cattle and hogs today on the board, kind of mixed to lower action compared to the grains, which are having a really nice, strong day so far. Uh, What's your thoughts on the livestock trade? I know weekly export sales there, beef was down a bit, hogs were higher on the pork side, uh, but it just looks like kind of a mixed day so far in livestock. Yeah, as we look at the hogs, we're starting to see the weight start to creep higher, a little bit unusual maybe this time of year, uh, suggesting maybe that uh, feeders are starting to hold back, that their bullishness, looking at the, some of the premiums in the summer's prices are causing them to hold back, and they've got to certainly have the feeding space to do it, the pen space, I should say, in order to do it. And that adds weight to them and could help kind of solve the hole we've seen of fewer hogs than what was expected. So we have to be careful there. On the cattle side, we've seen good demand both domestic and exports. Uh, we saw Russia being a good buyer of beef in this morning's weekly export sales report. Um, 6,600 metric tons of beef. That's a good number for beef. They've become quietly one of our top beef importers right now. Um, overall, still waiting for this week's cash cattle trade. We saw a few uh, kind of um, less impressive cattle trade at 138 in the south. We don't know if that's really um, established anything in the north. We saw some around 222 unaddressed, I believe it was, up a couple of dollars from last week. Uh, overall, we've seen some good harvest rates, 125,000 in a day, and that really is something we haven't seen since before COVID. Well, Arlen, I know plenty of things going on in these markets. Again, very volatile uh, once again, as we uh, touched on here at the beginning of the segment. And we'll definitely be watching things as we move forward. I appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Arlen Suderman with StoneX joining us here on AOA. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Ethan Lane from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stick around. More AOA on the way right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. 
Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's. And more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Will Stafford. He's the CHS Washington representative for a farm policy update. Will, welcome to the show. Let's discuss the latest happenings on the next farm bill. Have there been any updates as of yet to key issues on this bill? I wouldn't say updates, Mike, but both the ag committees in the House and the Senate are starting to get their ducks in a row for how they want to approach this new farm bill. Um, as you know, the current one expires uh, at the end of September in 2023, which means that if they're following timelines of the past, they're really going to have to start getting going in the next few months, uh, holding hearings, uh, both outside of D.C. and in D.C., hearing what uh, ag groups priorities are going to be, um, hearing what farmers want to see changed in the in the next farm bill uh, from what we think it seems like this next farm bill will be more of an evolutionary farm bill rather than a revolutionary farm bill, meaning that unlike some farm bills in the past, I doubt we're going to see major massive changes to the farm policy areas of the bill. Um, but we may see some tweaks or some smaller changes to make programs work better for constituents. 
Well, what other issues coming out of Washington, D.C. should farmers be watching out for? There's always a lot going on here in D.C., especially as we move forward into the midterms in November. Watch what happens with the, uh, the renewable fuel standard, the RFS, as we exit 2022. After the year 2022, that will no longer be up to Congress to set those levels of, uh, of blending. Uh, that will actually be up to the administration, whoever the administration is. So that is something that if that does not change, it will be up to the Biden administration and whatever president after that, unless Congress steps in. Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, thanks for joining us around the table. To learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership, visit cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Pearson here today. Appreciate you making us part of your day here with the show today. We are standing by waiting for Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We'll see if we can get connected with him here in just a minute. Wanting to talk with him about the uh, cattle producers welcoming in this contract library pilot program. The recently passed fiscal year 2022 omnibus appropriations package. It's funds several programs important to cattle producers, and it also maintains key provisions that the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has advocated for, including the electronic logging device exemption for livestock haulers, important EPA regulatory relief, and an extension of the livestock mandatory reporting program and the cattle contract library pilot program it's a critical tool as ncba works to increase market transparency for cattle producers now ncba says that the pilot program marks a win for the u.s cattle industry as it equips uh, producers with, with the market data they need to make informed business decisions and capture more value for producing the highest quality beef in the world and uh, ethan lane ncba vp of government affairs said uh, this quote about this cattle contract library pilot program saying, quote, the program allows USDA to work on the model for a contract library that works for everyone in the supply chain, while Congress and industry continue to work on the details of a permanent library. And it's something that this is an issue that uh, surrounding everything going on with the cattle industry and packers and, and margins, something that is being watched very, very closely. It's been a back and forth fight. and. Uh, one has to wonder if this cattle contrary contract library pilot program, uh, what is this going to do? What's it going to look like for uh, cattle ranchers? And it's something we're going to be keeping our eyes on very, very closely. Also as well, a federal appeals court uh, has affirmed the dismissal of a lawsuit brought by cattle ranchers over the alleged mislabeling of beef as a product of the USA. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the 10th District in Denver ruled two to one on Friday to dismiss the class action lawsuit filed in January 2020 by New Mexico ranchers Robin Thornton and Michael Lucero. The original lawsuit named Tyson Foods, named Cargill Meat Solutions, JBS USA, and National Beef Packing Company with plaintiffs complaint claiming that companies misled consumers by labeling beef as product of the USA when the cattle may have been born or raised in another country. And at issue are USDA rules that allow the product of the USA label to be used when the meat is further processed by U.S. companies. The lawsuit 
had been dismissed last year, and the appellate court affirmed the dismissal of the lower court ruling uh, by ruling that the plaintiff's arguments were preempted by federal law. U.S. Circuit Judge Nancy Moritz said in a 21-page opinion, quote, allowing plaintiffs to impose a different label standard would impose a requirement different from what USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service has already approved as consistent with the Federal Meat Inspection Act. And U.S. Uh, Circuit Judge Nancy Moritz said that in her statement. It's something that we're watching uh, very, very closely here. A couple different stories surrounding uh, the world of beef here. And, and we're going to be keeping our eyes on that, and we'll see if we can still connect with Ethan Lane from NCBA here in just a minute. We are working on that right now. Taking a look at a few other uh, news headlines here throughout the world of agriculture this morning while we uh, attempt to connect with Ethan Lane here on the show. As the process to write the 2023 Farm Bill begins, the Agriculture Committee should address climate policy in a producer-focused way, according to the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. Chuck Connor of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives is co-chair of the alliance. Connor told Congress on Wednesday, quote, we believe that policy should be voluntary and market and incentive-based, end quote. Now, the comments were part of the House Agriculture Committee hearing to review the Department of Agriculture's program's role in addressing climate change. Now, Connor noted that uh, FACA released a comprehensive list of recommendations related to agriculture and climate in November 2020. Several of these, he said, should be considered during the Farm Bill process. Connor also noted that FACA is beginning a process to develop an expanded set of more Farm Bill-focused recommendations in the coming months. FACA represents a diverse group of farm and environmental groups, including the American Farm Bureau Federation and the Environmental Defense Fund. Also, the Environmental Protection Agency this week, they announced further label restrictions on over-the-top use of dicamba in Minnesota and Iowa. The changes requested by pesticide registrants in consultation with those states are intended to reduce risks from the use of over-the-top dicamba, a herbicide used to control certain types of broadleaf weeds. The revised labeling prohibits over-the-top dicamba application on dicamba-tolerant crops after June 20th in Iowa and on dicamba-tolerant crops south of Interstate 94 after June 12th in Minnesota. And the cutoff date for land north of Interstate 94 remains June 30th. The revisions also prohibit the practice when the air temperature is over 85 degrees at the time of application or if the forecasted high temperature of the nearest available location exceeds 85 degrees in Minnesota. Now, these restrictions are intended to reduce the likelihood of volatility and off-site movement of over-the-top dicamba by avoiding application on days with high temperatures, according to the EPA. And also, Elaine Trevino, the Biden administration nominee to serve as chief ag negotiator, is going to take a non-political appointment uh, in the administration. As a result, the White House withdrew her nomination to the trade post at the U.S. Trade Representative's office. Senate Finance uh, Committee Chair Ron Wyden, an Oregon Democrat, says, I'm glad to see Ms. Trevino will be serving the American people, adding, I urge the White House to quickly announce a new nominee, quote unquote. Now, farm groups welcomed her nomination last year, noting the work needed in agriculture trade. At the time, American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duval said, quote, opportunities to create new trade agreements with the European Union and Great Britain, as well as expanding the China Phase 1 agreement, make filling this position with the most qualified person extremely important, end quote. Now, Trevino recently served as president of the Almond Alliance of California and previously served as deputy secretary at the California Department of Food and Agriculture. Again, Elaine Trevino drawing her name from consideration for the USTR Chief Ag Negotiator nomination. So that's just a few of the 
headlines here today in the world of agriculture. Unfortunately, we couldn't connect with Ethan Lane from NCBA. We'll try to get him back on the show here again real soon. And we appreciate you joining us here on AOA. Coming up tomorrow, Mike Pearson will be back, and we're going to be talking about interest rates being on the rise. How's that going to impact agriculture? I'm Jesse Allen, and for Mike Pearson, thanks for listening to AOA. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.